It is God who provides the robe of righteousness. Whose righteousness is it? It's certainly not mine, and it's certainly not yours. It is the robe of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, who alone lived perfectly the law, and yet died for our sin. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. We now embark upon the latter part of chapter 2 of Romans. So if you will join me there in your Bibles. If you don't have one of your own, there is one in the Pew Bible and a reference in the worship bulletin for the page number there. We begin right at the middle of chapter 2 at verse 17. Hear now God's word. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you're convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then. Let's stop there for just a moment. Paul is addressing people who think they have an advantage. Over these last weeks, as we have embarked upon the Epistle of Romans, Richard has brought us uh, through the opening chapter, and then Stan shared from the first part of chapter 2 last week. In chapter 1, the gospel is presented, all the themes of the things that Paul is going to be talking about in the epistle are shared in those verses in chapter 1. And then in chapter 1, right at the middle of verse 18, he begins to do what a great theologian at one time, who now is at the feet of Jesus praising him in heaven, Francis Schaeffer once said, was the way to do apologetics. And that is that Paul is beginning to drive people to the logical conclusion of their thought patterns. In chapter 1, verse 18, Paul takes everyone and he says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all those who suppress the truth. And he tells us that there are no atheists. You may hear people say, oh yes, I'm an atheist. Paul says there is no such thing as an atheist. Because what is known about God and needs to be known about God is made plain, he says, in the end of chapter 1, to everyone. Yes, there may be those who say, I am an atheist. But they just don't want God in their lives. So they'd rather not deal with him. Then in chapter 2, verse 1, 
The Apostle Paul begins what most commentators believe is a narrowing of that focus to perhaps Jews and also perhaps moral Gentiles who thought that in some way they had an advantage. Advantage is something we all seek, isn't it? The two teams that will meet tonight are looking for advantages. They don't have the hometown advantage. And that's exactly what the Jews thought they had in chapter 2, the first verses that we've read here. They thought they had the hometown advantage. Notice with me that three times in that little short passage that I read, Paul talks about the law. This was their hometown advantage. The Jews thought, yes, we are the chosen of God. We have his law code. We have the Pentateuch, the first five books of the law. And then we have the rest of the Old Testament. God must love us and he has given it to us. And we're better than anyone else. We know what's superior and we know what's inferior. We know how to lead in the dark because we are the light to the world. Yes, they thought they had an advantage because they were born Jews who had the law. But Paul says, wait a minute. Come with me to verse 21. Therefore, if you believe all these things about yourself, if you believe you really know everything there is to know about God and how to get there and how to obey His law, and you know how to lead people who are in the dark, uh, let me ask you a question or two. You then, verse 21, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You then, who preach against stealing, Do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Yes, uh, there was some evidence that Jews did rob temples sort of as their duty unto God. And also they made use of the gold and silver that they came by in the process. This is hinted at in Acts 19 when Paul and his companions are brought before the city council on charges and the city council says these men have not been accused of robbing temples. You see, the Jews among the world were hypocrites. You brag, verse 23, you brag about the law. Do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. A hypocrite is one who preaches one thing and does another. There's an old story about a saloon that was bought by a church. That should make you begin to smile right there. 
And they took out the bar and they took out the tables and the chairs and put in some carpet and put in a pulpit and a choir loft and pews and, you know, the whole, all, all the accoutrements that you would expect in a worship area. Put on a new paint job. And first Sunday, one thing they forgot. They had forgotten about a parrot who had been the pet parrot of the bar. He had flown up in the rafters and had missed all the hubbub and was not, he was still there. He had watched the whole transformation of the bar into a church. And so he was sitting there when the service began. And in walks the preacher up to the pulpit and the parrot was heard to say, new management. And then when he saw the choir come in, the men and ladies and all the people coming into the choir after the choir loft, he said, Arp, new floor show. <laughs> and then when he saw the people coming in, he said, Arp, same old crowd. <laughs> you see, Jews made a business out of being hypocrites. They were proud of their heritage. And they made people know it too. We haven't got time to go into some of the things that they did in order to put Gentiles down. But suffice it to say that what is true in D.L. Moody's words, D.L. Moody was a great preacher of evangelism and of the gospel in around the turn of the 20th century. D.L. Moody says this, out of 100 men, one will read the Bible. The other 99 will read Christians. They'll read us. The only Christ and the only Christianity that most people know is what they see in you and me. That's a bit frightening. Flannery O'Connor, a writer of Southern novels, is recorded to have said this because she usually houses most of her novels in the South. She says, I think it is safe to say that while the South is hardly Christ-centered, it is most certainly Christ-haunted. And then Charles Spurgeon great British preacher of the 19th century says this, When you see a man with a great deal of religion displayed in his shop window, you may depend upon it that he keeps very little stock of it within. You see, Paul was driving the Jew, finally, from the big group of those who suppress the truth of God he finally focuses in on the Jew because in this passage, the Y-O-U that we see in this passage, they are all singular U's. Most of the Y-O-U's that you see in the Bible are plural, referring to the church or to a group of people. But these Y-O-U's are singular. He is focusing his diatribe on the Jew. The quintessential Jew who hated all Gentiles. 
who said one thing and did another. Jesus himself, when confronted with the Jews, had this to say. You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. Beloved, there is no hometown advantage. Well, the last vestige, the last place that the Jew could go is where Paul goes next. Join me at verse 25. Circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you have not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they are circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you, who even though you have the written code and circumcision are a lawbreaker. You see, the last vestige, the last refuge for the Jew, if, it, if it's not the law, if, if he's convinced that it's true that one who has the law must keep the law perfectly, then certainly because we have circumcision, the Jew would say, God loves us. And God overlooks all the other things because we are circumcised. And Paul says, wait a minute, wait, wait. Yes, circumcision was given to your father Abraham. And later in this same book, the same letter, he will refer to this in a very pointed way. But he says, wait a minute. If you are circumcised, you must obey the law. Because that's the only way it's profitable. See, that's what he says. Verse 25. Circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have been considered not to be circumcised. That's like telling a Jew, if you don't obey the law... And even though you're circumcised in your flesh, God considers you a Gentile. Not circumcised. Not going to heaven. Not my people. And then Paul turns the tables on him. If those are, who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The answer is yes. If someone were able to, and this is hypothetical, if one were able to obey the law perfectly and did not have circumcision, God would consider that person circumcised. That's what Paul is saying in this statement. 
the one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will not only be recognized as circumcised, but he will condemn you, the circumcised one who doesn't keep the law. As Francis Shaver said, Paul has brought the Jew and everyone else to the logical conclusion that there is no hometown advantage and there's no heritage advantage. You and I may sit here having thought that we have advantages simply because we come to church or simply because we have Bibles at our home which perhaps we never read. Perhaps we think because our grandparents were Christians that somehow we made it. Or that our parents baptized us perhaps even right here in this place. And because of that baptism we are saved. No, no, beloved. There is no hometown advantage. There is no heritage advantage. Because Verse 2.13 applies. Look at verse 2.13. For it is though, not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who are declared righteous. It's only if you obey fully and perfectly. That is what is so damning and so pointed in Paul's argument. None of us, no one who has ever lived, no one who is ever living or shall live except for one, our Lord Jesus Christ, who to the Jews said, who among you can convict me of sin? No one spoke because no one could convict him. He is the only one who has lived the law perfectly. You see, all of us are driven to the logical conclusion that we stand guilty before God. No matter how much we know the Bible, no matter how many generations of Presbyterians we come from, no matter how many times we've been baptized, no matter how, not any time about whether you go to Sunday school or you give offerings, it doesn't matter. What matters is the heart matter, the heart heritage. Because at the end of verse 27... Things are looking pretty bleak. Come with me to verses 28 and 29. A man is not a Jew if he is one, only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. 
What about it? The heritage advantage doesn't work. The hometown advantage doesn't work. Only the heart. Come with me to verse 16 of chapter 2. This is one of the last verses that Stan preached on last week. And I want to help us to see its connection here. Let me begin in verse 14 of chapter 2. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature the things required by the law, they are a law unto themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. Now, please note verse 16. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. The word secrets there is the word hidden for hidden things. You see, beloved, I can fool you. You can fool me. But we cannot fool the ever-living God who sees to the heart, who sees behind the hidden things. He sees into our minds and our hearts. That's what Paul's saying. On that day, God will judge the secret things of your heart and mine. It won't matter what we profess. It will matter what's here. The Apostle Paul, in another letter to the Corinthians, says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time. Don't be a hypocrite, is what he's saying. But wait until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things hidden. Same word, used in 2.16 and in the latter part of chapter 2 of Romans. He will bring to light the hidden things in the darkness and disclose the men, motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. Paul later says in that same epistle in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, talking about the assembly of the believers, he said, If someone walks into your assembly and hears the gospel... And here's the prophesying of God's word. An unbeliever, an ungifted man enters. He is convicted by all. He is called into account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. You see, it's not Tim Leslie or any other pastor that exposes our hearts. It is the Holy Spirit. God Almighty, through His Spirit, exposes our hearts. He knows what's there. He calls us to Himself to be circumcised in heart. Listen to Isaiah, one prophet that every Jew understood and knew. Listen to chapter 61, verse 10. 
I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Who is it that arrays and adorns? It's God that does that. It is God who provides the robe of righteousness. Whose righteousness is it? It's certainly not mine, and it's certainly not yours. It is the robe of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, who alone lived perfectly the law, and yet died for our sin. He it is whose robe of righteousness will be given to those who are circumcised in heart. It is His righteousness. Paul says this in chapter 1, verse 17. A righteousness of God revealed. You see, we're all guilty. All of us in the hidden depths of our hearts know it. What will you do? What will I do in response to this gospel? You see, the hometown advantage, the heritage advantage doesn't work. It is only the heart advantage. It's only the advantage of casting ourselves on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. The one who not only died for his sinners, but lived a life of holiness before the ever-watching eye of God. He is the one who can offer you circumcision of the heart today. You see, a true Jew is one who's circumcised in heart. Listen to Paul's last statement. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. This is the gospel offered to you and me to cleanse the depths of our hearts and to robe us in His righteousness. Amen. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks that you have driven us in the heart of hearts to the reality that we stand before you guilty. None of us has advantage. We cast ourselves upon you, Lord Jesus, as lover of our souls. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to fall upon us so that we might know and understand your grace. And we ask this for Christ's sake. Amen. Whatever you're facing, First Presbyterian Church would like to pray for you this week. 
Please leave your name and prayer request by calling 864-672-1838 or receive prayer in person. Details about this service are listed on your screen. To purchase a DVD of today's message, please send a check or money order for $10 to First Presbyterian Church and include today's program number. For more information, call 864-672-1846 or visit our website at firstpresgreenville.org.